Welcome back to Two Nobodies. It's, you know, we've been away for the summer. We had things to do. We had to relax and recover. And we were just talking about it. And we're not feeling so relaxed and recovered. But uh, we're back and we got to get this thing going, hey? And we got we to gotta generate some momentum again. I can't remember what episode we're at, but I think we said we were going to try to get to 30. And I feel like we're in like the low maybe 23 24 somewhere around there so Kyle, we got to hit we got six or seven and then we got to make a decision about whether we want to keep this thing going on so but welcome back man good i'm looking forward to talking to you so yeah man nice to see you pal i keep waiting for the checks in the mail for like you know all this money that we're gonna make from this podcast but i haven't seen a dime yet yeah i've uh maybe i haven't sent them to you yet (laughs) uh yeah i would guess it's like 26 or 27 but you know that's not bad that's um I don't know. That's that's 27 episodes or 26, whatever it is. Like, that's not nothing. That's a lot. And I, you know, I've learned a lot. You've learned a lot. Well, I mean, you've been doing the vast majority of the work on this. So, like, film editing and, you know, audio editing and, and um, even, like, interview skills and all that stuff. So, I would say you know, it's been successful for many aspects. It's been, uh, yeah, eight, pretty much eight months, almost uh, not quite a year, but almost a year ago since we had that chat at my dining table where we were like, let's let's think about doing this. Where I awkwardly and... accepted. No, see, here's what happened at that whole dinner thing. So Rupesh texted me, he's like, hey, come over for dinner. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not coming over for dinner, but like, we'll come over for like an afternoon hangout. And he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes. He's like, okay. So we show up. It's like 2 o'clock. I don't know. We hang out from 2 to 5. And in the worst possible form ever for a guest... As I'm leaving, Rupesh says, yeah, you guys could stay for dinner. Or, no, no, uh, you know what? You should have just stayed for dinner. And probably as just like a final nicety as he shepherds me out the door and then him and his family can enjoy their dinner alone. And I accept. I say, well, <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll stay for dinner. And my wife, I remember looking, like she looked at me and she's like, what are you, like that is the worst possible form you could possibly take as a guest. Um, but I did, and we had a great time. And you made dinner sort of in a rush because you didn't think you were gonna have to make dinner for us. But uh, so I was about the worst guest ever. But it all worked out, so that's good. So I should, I would like to formally apologize for that because you apologize um, enough, man. That that was uh, we loved having you over. We we gen- we were glad you accepted, even though it was a little awkward at the time. Of course, it was. It was just <laughs> terrible, terrible fucking. I mean, I wouldn't have done that, but but you know, I know so. nobody would have, and I did, and that's what my wife said, like. People say things when you're leaving that might like, and I, I have no doubt that you sincerely wanted us to stay for dinner, but you know, I'm, I'm sure I've made offers as people are walking out the door that I never thought they would accept. And if they did, I'd be like, uh, all right. But you were just, you were there. You had the, it was salmon. I remember. And some sweet potatoes and maybe a yeah. salad. Can't remember, but yeah. Um, and, uh, and, uh, our two kids had fun sitting at their little table and, yeah. and, well, uh, your kid did. She was nice and sat and ate dinner and my kid ran around while your kid tried to ha- tried to like convince my kid to eat his supper because that's how nice your little girl is that was that was a moment that was i don't think any of us the four of us will ever forget that that, that was, was hilarious uh, Super that was funny. hilarious yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yes i almost a year ago since we had that conversation man and you encouraged encouraged me to be like yeah let's do this so here we, we are. did it we changed the world yeah yeah well maybe i don't know changed yeah. our world right hey people are listening people yeah. are listening that's yeah. right. Um, so what's going on? I'm, we actually haven't had a conversation before this episode probably in six six weeks, maybe more. Yeah, surprise, guys. Kyle and I, we don't talk every day. You know, we're like, uh, we, we may seem like we're like best friends, but like, you know, we're actually, we just, you know. Last time I'm we would talked, was it, <laughs> you invited me over for you. To, for food at your house and you made us yeah waffles. it was early july we talked then and uh and then we both just got going with our vacations and and work and all that so yeah no it's it's a pleasure it's honestly I'm, i was really looking forward to catching up with you so yeah, buddy, me too. um what's going on we got we're in a federal election in canada yeah, i just voted by mail mm-hmm. oh good for you yeah I just, you just it's super easy you just fill it for anybody listening and it might be too late now because the election's on what the 20th 
20th, yeah. So it's 12th, so I don't know. Man, there might be a cutoff. But, yeah, I, like, filled out a form online on probably Tuesday. I had the ballot in my mailbox on Thursday, mm. and I mailed it off on Friday. So, so I've you, already voted. You, you did one of those fake ballots then? Uh, if you're Donald Trump, yeah, it's fake. <laughs> <laughs> but for everybody else in the world, that's a viable you... way to vote. I was thinking, like, do you think any of that's going to play out because mail-in voting is, like, a thing this time around? Do you think that's that's going to creep up into Canada? I don't know. I mean, maybe because it was such a hot topic in the States. or I don't even know if it ever was a hot topic, but, you know, they, like, Trump would talk about it, and so they would get media coverage. It's probably one of those things that, whatever, 0.01% of people who were involved in elections actually cared about, mm. but it got, it got equal airtime to other more relevant issues just because you mm. know one schmuck was talking about it um so i don't know i don't think so like you think aaron o'toole would sort of these mail-in ballots are bullshit and they can be tampered with or whatever the argument is yeah i don't know if it would be about o'toole i think maybe it'd be the people's party of canada or whatever they actually have like they might have a little bit of sway in this election like in terms of how you know, you might get some bleeding off to the, from the conservatives to go to the this People's Party of Canada. So, so for folks outside of Canada, we have definitely a multi-party system. Although typically it's been conservative and liberals um, who who have formed government. Um, the at the, the NDP, level, yeah. yeah, the federal side. Um, the NDP has sometimes played a role in the opposition, but it's typically been those two parties. But but sometimes these these other sort of third, fourth, fifth parties can can really steal votes from the liberals and conservatives. So people are saying the People's Party of Canada is gaining steam. I think it has to do with, um, you know, just COVID. And people are frustrated and people feel like their freedoms are being taken away. And and uh, Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party of Canada, is, is certainly a voice for that, it seems like. so. Yeah, I think they'll, they'll sort of play the, the role of um, vote siphon or whatever with all yeah like well they're like the winner will be decided maybe not because the ppc was in but they will take votes that traditionally would have gone to somebody else and sort of lessen mm-hmm. that 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 uh margin for those groups so and that's i think what makes the multi-party i mean it's it's a cool system because you know you don't have to adhere to a or b um which is nice like there's a broad political spectrum that you mm-hmm. can kind of choose to represent yourself or try to represent yourself by voting for them um, but the other thing is on election day, it can be super fun to sort of see, you know, these um, smaller groups or parties steal votes and siphon votes and really sway the results as a result of it. Um, I always find it interesting anyways. What do you think about strategic voting? Do you think that that should be, do you think people should just vote? I mean, people should vote however they want to vote, of course, but do you think that, um, like, I, I think that there's obviously, we've talked about the electoral system at ends, but, and that would sort of get rid of the whole, you know, strategic voting thing, because then you would ensure your voice is rep- properly represented. But sometimes that strategic voting thing frustrates me. I can yeah. understand how it plays a role. Like obviously in, when, when Trudeau and the liberals got elected the first time around, there's no question strategic voting to get rid of the conservatives at that time. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. I just think that it's important for people to vote for who they really want. Yeah, I've never, I've never done it, but I see the rationale behind it. Um, I suppose I don't know if I'd ever do it though. It's sort of, I generally just try to, you know, give my vote to the person I've, I have the most mm. faith in to carry out whatever I see as my like that can represent my values. So, I've never done it, but I, as a strategic tool, if it's if it's something that's allowable under our current system, then I mean, why wouldn't you take advantage of it if it helps you mm-hmm. sort of, sort of, um, you know, get a point across or whatever, right? Like, I think I don't know. I'm I'm fine with it personally, but I've never done yeah. it. And I don't know that I ever would. It, would. it would have to be a very interesting scenario for me to do it. Well, they, I mean, there are definitely some groups who are really have were really successful at coordinating that. So, like, I think it has to mm-hmm. you have to be very well coordinated for it to actually pan out, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you no, have to, there's so many ridings. You got to make sure that it's all yeah, connected and that everyone's kind of moving at the same time. Like it's, it's quite an effort. If it doesn't work out, then it's like, I don't know what it's all done for then. Right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you could, it could be a lot of wasted votes or you could, it could be perceived as a lot of wasted votes, I suppose, mm-hmm. if it doesn't, if it's not done in a coordinated manner, coordinated yeah. manner. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, um, I don't bring the political insight that Rupesh has. I feel like politics to you is like a, 
it's a passion it's a, it's like something that you like like when you have free time you like read about it and like you're this passionate guy that wants to like drive change and i always have like really admired that about you and i used oh, to be really thanks. involved in politics but now i sort of i'm just like a grumpy old man or whatever it is but i'm i think i'm becoming like more of a fatalist or something i'm just like ah it is what it is things are going to be how they're going to be um, dude you're busy though man you got you got things like easy, i can I now I, I i mean i appreciate it a lot more having you know one kid that when i you know when i didn't have kids when i didn't understand how people weren't paying attention but when you've got like a kid or multiple kids or a busy family you don't have time to pay attention to now that i don't think that necessarily is an excuse for not voting yeah, or yeah. trying no, to learn about the issues I, I feel very passionately about people voting but I could totally understand and appreciate how people are just not attuned with the day-to-day grind of the issues or the politics or who's up and who's down. I mean, you got bigger things to worry about, right? Totally, yeah. Like I had a couple projects, small projects that you know, if I you know didn't have kids, it would take me a Sunday afternoon. They'd take me weeks because I can I can chip in forty-five minutes here, half an hour here, maybe an hour here. Um, but I mean, whatever. I didn't have kids to get more free time. But that yeah, totally. Like that's right. Like you, it it's a def it's a different there's a different premium placed on free time and there's a different way that you mm-hmm. handle your free time and sometimes you're like man i have all these goals and all these things i want to do but i'm just exhausted and honestly i just want to like read a book i just want to scroll on my phone for 20 minutes before i go to bed or you know you want to catch up on whatever um you know your interests are if it's news if it's sports if it's something else i'm you know i like um watching sports and like catching up on sports I watched a lot of baseball when my second son was born because I would just rock him at night, rock him at night, rock him at night, and mm-hmm. so I could catch kind of the late game, and it was awesome. But I haven't watched a like a football game or a baseball game or anything in a, a while, um, which is a bummer because these Blue Jays, I don't know if you've been keeping up on this. No, not at all. Oh, man. So this uh, so this AL East, which is uh, the, the Jays division, right? There's a bunch of great teams in that division. There's the Tampa Bay Rays. Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees, and then there's mm-hmm. the Toronto Blue Jays. Stacked. Yeah, it's it's so it's, it's yeah. likely that three teams from that division are going to make the playoffs. And how it works mm-hmm. is there's the AL and then the NL, and there's four divisions in each. And that um, so the division champ all go to the playoffs. So it's four teams, and then there's um, two more wild cards. Or sorry, there's three divisions in each league. Sorry about that. So there's you know so the, the so there's the div champ. So that's three teams, and then there's two more uh, wild cards. So they can come from any division. But anyways, these Blue Jays, like eight weeks ago, people were just like, oh, they're out of the playoffs. They've since, they won like, they've been on a couple of big winning streaks. They just swept the Yankees four games in a row. And in the meantime, the Yankees have cratered. So the Blue Jays, I think, as of today, are in a playoff position by like half a game. But they're competing with like four. Are they leading the division? No, no, no. They're they're like, so the Tampa, uh, so the Rays have it locked up. Okay. And the Red Sox have the first wild card locked up. Okay. So whoever gets third place in the AL East is probably going to make the playoffs okay. as the second wild card. Um, and so right now, I, I think as of today, September twelfth, the Jays are in that second wild card spot because they've re- they've just gone on a tear. Um, but it's good, like there's probably twenty games left. It's going to be such an interesting finish to the season. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just hit his forty fourth home run, ties Ooh. him for home run um lead in the league behind uh with Shohei Otani which I don't know if you've heard about Shohei Otani no people are calling him the second coming of Babe Ruth kid pitches Whoa. throws smoke and he hits which is like who does he play for he's uh the Los Angeles Angels okay um anyways that's a different story but so there's uh Vladdy Guerrero Jr who's been the number one prospect in baseball for a long time finally yeah. uh, showing his chops just hit his 44th home run which is pretty good he also has a chance at a at a, at a um Triple Crown, which okay. is where you lead the league in home runs, batting average, and RBIs. Mm. Hasn't been done since 2012, since um, Miguel Cabrera did it uh, with the Tigers, I think, he was the Tigers then. And then before that, it hadn't been done since, like, I'm going to get this wrong, but, like, it's like the 30s or 40s. Like, it's like this isn't something that happens very often where somebody wins I thought that, uh, am I wrong to say that, or maybe he was close, but I thought Carlos Delgado was very close. Could have been close, but he didn't do it. He didn't do uh, it. Okay. At least here, I'm. I'm gonna get this wrong. I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure that Vladi has has a chance to do it to be the first guy to do it uh, since 2012 for sure. Yeah. And then before that, which would have been that, like sure. Delgado's prime. Yeah. Um, I. I don't think it's been done since this. Since 
I, it, it's either or 30, 73 eh? or 37, but like long time. Ago. Okay. <laughs> uh, which like that's you know I am no baseball scholar, but um, anyway, so there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with baseball right now, and I haven't really been able to watch much of it. So I'm hoping that I can watch, you know, at least a game or two down the stretch because it should be super interesting. When when the Jays are in the playoffs, and you and I, because we were we were working together, if you remember, yeah, um, yeah, I and that. the Jays were, what was it, 20? Might have been 2015 or something. 2015. But obviously Joey yeah. Bats hit that home run, and we oh were all we had it played in the in our little lunchroom there. And yeah, it was so much games, fun. Yeah, because that was like game. It was pro- was it the I can't remember it was the ALDS. It was ALDS. It might have been the yeah. ALDS, and they're playing Texas, Texas yeah. Rangers, who they didn't. You know, there was no love lost between those teams. There's a seventh inning, totally, and that was the weirdest seventh inning, where like uh, there was like pitching or no, um, there was a batter. So Odor gets home because of because uh, what was his name? The uh, the catcher Martin. Uh, anyways. Mm. He tries to throw the ball back to the Blue Jays pitcher, hits the batter uh, unintentionally, but the batter didn't intentionally impede the throw, so Odor gets to run home, and that, mm. I think, gives the Rangers the lead. And that was in the seventh. That's in the top of the seventh. Bottom seven, because everybody's like, oh, the Jays just gave up a lead. Blew They're going to yeah. lose. Yeah, yeah. And, the, yeah, and then Joey bats. I'll never forget that home run for as long as I live. I think we hugged after maybe. Oh, to, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and those games it, started so early because you know it was in Toronto. Game probably started mm-hmm. at six in Toronto, which is four mm-hmm. o'clock where we live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we just stuck around, work late, and watched this baseball game. Yeah, that yeah, was amazing. That was one of the best baseball games I've ever seen. That was probably the craziest inning of of baseball I've ever seen. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I I think that that home run goes down probably second to Joe Carter's. Yeah, perhaps it was so good. And the thing is, yeah. Joey Bats hit another home run. I was in a dive. I was watching the game. I think it was that same year. I was watching uh, uh, the game at, at my house, and I was a uh, streaming service to watch it, and the internet cut out. And I was like, oh, I gotta, like, I gotta watch this game because it was such a good <laughs> game. And uh, I ran down the block. There was this dive bar. It was the worst bar in Edmonton. It's awful, awful bar. I'd been there once or twice. I don't know how, just like by mistake. I mean, it was close, right? Uh, man, this bar was so bad. One time, I went in. Uh, I was killing time with a buddy. I was like, hey, I'll get a pint of like whatever you have on tap. He had one thing on tap, and I think it was black ice, which I, if anybody's ever had black ice, it's like the worst beer mm-hmm. in the world. And I watched him pour my beer and then dump and like just an awful pour, so like tons of head on the beer, right? Scoops the head off into this other glass and sets it aside until it like um, all the bubbles leave and it's just warm beer Yeah, into this glass. And he's clearly been doing that you know, two for like the last hour. Right. It's like three quarters full now with this room temperature beer. And he gives me the cold one. Next guy that comes in, asks for a beer. He takes the room temperature foam beer. No. That's no longer foam. It's like flat. And he just like tops it off with like a quarter of a pint of black ice. And, and this guy just took it, which I was amazed by. And it was like five bucks for this pint of black ice. Anyways, I run down, um, and the only food you could get was like microwaved, uh, it was like Tostito, like no, uh, um, taquitos. Okay, taquitos. yeah, so it's like, like microwave taquitos, and it's one yeah. guy who who owns and works at the place, and he would go in the back and heat up your food in a microwave, and you could see him. He would just like take a frozen bag, dump it on a plate, <laughs> put it in the microwave, bring it out. Anyways, so this is not a nice bar. So I run down to this bar by myself, have a beer, watch. Joey Bats hit another game-winning home run in that same playoffs. They ended up losing that series, though, so it's not. It must have been against Cleveland, maybe. Can't remember. Mm. Um, and I hugged a total stranger. There was this other guy that was there by himself, maybe because the internet cut out, and we both just just like, yeah. <laughs> and then we just get up and are looking around, and like everybody else is playing VLTs and doesn't give a shit, <laughs> just eating their terrible taquitos. And me and this guy are like, ah. And we just hug. I've never met this man before in my yeah. life. And we just hug. And then we didn't say a word. And then he just like went and sat down. And I went and sat down. And we didn't talk after that. Anyways, a lot of memories tied to that 2015, if that's what it was, 2015 playoffs. The Jays are just one of those teams in Canada that just brings like the country together. Like It's like a historical franchise. Even like... I think it like transcends Canada. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, 
I think that the least probably have a little bit of that, but people in the States know the least, but I think they're like, that's like an iconic Canadian team. So are the Montreal Canadians for some reason. There's like, I think there are fans for the Jays outside of Canada Oh, probably that, that maybe doesn't exist with any of the other major sports teams in Canada. Like I don't, I think the Raptors, like people just kind of, if you're in Canada and you're Toronto, you can be a Raptors fan, but if you're outside of that, they're probably not going to be, but I think the Jays are like one of those transcending teams that everyone seems to want to cheer for. They're pretty likable bunch. Um, and they always have been from what I recall. I can't remember any, I watched baseball when I was a kid, like, like the Joe Carter era. And then I kind of got away from it and started watching again around the Roy holiday era. Oh yeah, so like Doug I was thinking about Doc too. Oh, man. That's sad. Super yeah. sad. He's in the Hall of Fame now, yeah. which he should be because he was great. Yeah. But brutal. But yeah, you're probably yeah. right, and it's it's sweet because the Jays. Um, so there's sort of always a likable bunch, at least you know from what I can recall. And I'm a fan of the team, so maybe that's why. But I have friends who are like Calgary Flames fans, and I'm an Oilers fan, and we mm. like cannot talk about hockey because we just mm-hmm. get mad. But we both mm-hmm. like the Jays, and so we can mm-hmm. cheer for the same team with the Jays. Because um, mm-hmm. it is like Canada wide team, and like the Maple Leafs, there's a real um, friction I feel like between like you know, the rest of Canada and like Toronto, in Toronto. because yeah. like the Toronto media, which is you know like Rogers is a is a based in Toronto, Toronto owned I think. Mm-hmm. All these all these major sport next sport networks give the Leafs so much coverage, so much coverage that the rest of Canada mm-hmm. and they all these articles coming out about Connor McDavid wanting to leave Edmonton and stuff. Anyway, so the, there's like a bit of friction between like that Toronto mm-hmm. media and like the rest of Canada. I feel like, but the Jays, man, and probably I mean, maybe the Raptors too, coast to coast. I, I don't think know. the Raptors are getting there yeah. for sure after that championship. Like when people watch that, right? Yeah. I think that so, brought a lot of attention. I, I watched that playoffs, and I don't know anything about basketball. I haven't mm-hmm. watched the only other basketball game I've watched from start to finish was when Shaq was playing for the Magic, and I think he was playing David Robinson with the Spurs. And it was this big matchup because Shaq had never played David Robinson. They were the right. two best players. In the- I can't remember. Oh, man, that's like – that's probably 95 maybe. Yeah, so I tuned into that whole yeah. game because it was so hyped up. And I think that's yeah. what it was, Shaq versus David Robinson. And so you've never watched a whole basketball game since then? Well, I have it like – like when I was going to university, we'd go to to games for sure. Because it's fun. It was like guys that you might mm. know or whatever. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like collegiate-wise, I've gone. And yeah. high school, I had a lot of friends had played, so I'd go watch them play and stuff. But – I haven't tuned into an NBA game bef- really before this Raps run and really after. I haven't really followed it much either, which, I mean, not that, mm-hmm. like, basketball, I feel like, is one of the fastest-growing sports in the world. Oh, 100%. Yeah. They've really made a inroads in Asia, and, you know, yeah, Messiah Jury, the like president a... of the Raptors, is really focused on Africa and bringing the game there. Cool. And Yeah, no, I think... Um, that sport is definitely, I mean, it's so easy to play, right? Like, I mean, soccer is the easiest. You just need a ball and you can put two pylons and you got it, right? But yeah. the next easiest is probably, probably basketball, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. A ball and a hoop. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I don't, I don't know how we got started on this, but, uh, oh yeah, sorry, free time. So I'm hoping that like I can, you know, catch a game or two down the stretch, but you're totally right. How you view free time and the, and the, time that you have to put towards projects or whatever it is it's just it's just limited it's like kid one takes up a lot of your free time but there's a little bit of free time left whatever that is and then kid two just kind of takes up whatever you got plus extra mm-hmm. so um uh, but i mean whatever we're happy and you know tired sometimes and all that stuff but no that's just how it is what uh what drove you to do the the paper ballot as opposed to going to the polls um you know part of it was two kids and like not having a ton of time uh it was mm. just easier t- to do it uh part of it's probably COVID. i think my my, my mm. uh, wife was the one that kind of looked into it and said that that she was going to do it and, and said that i should look into it and mm. so she'd done a legwork and um so it was, it was pretty easy for me to do and just i think it's more of a slim p- simplicity thing at this point but yeah mm. i don't know i'm not really sure she she was the I'm one so that, i'm like this i don't know i it may i make this weird romantic when it comes to like wanting to go to like the, like election day and got to go to the polls and be a part of that whole experience. Democracy, and, man. You should be proud of it. Like, like we should all yeah. be so grateful that we, we should be cheering. Like, yeah, like, you know, like, like I don't understand why people don't vote. I don't get it, man. That's insane. And I don't probably, when I, was, I don't know that I've voted every single election from the time I was 18 on. I certainly have since I've been 20, probably five on and I've sort of understood mm-hmm. the value of democracy and got a little bit more involved in politics, but Politics was never something that I was really interested in or involved with until 
yeah, probably my mid twenties or so, maybe even late twenties, when I sort of became a little bit more passionate about certain things, and then you kind of align yourself with whatever party before that, but or that um, would would re represent best those passions for you. Um, but I never was really too interested in politics or took mm -hmm. any real uh, passion in it, and I don't I don't know why that was. So I I can't promise you that I've taken every opportunity to vote. Mm. honestly which is which i'm a little embarrassed of because now that i'm adult and i see how special it is i absolutely do every time but it mm. uh, took some took some growing up for me to realize how special it was mm -hmm. but like people die for did democracy you, did, man like can we have it like we just we, we we have it it's awesome well i think people are starting to see i mean you know obviously for good reason but like when freedoms are you know taken away right and this is for a legitimate reason but you know it's precious right so mm. precious yeah and, uh, you know, you hear, you hear so many stories about other countries, you know, dark spots like North Korea, which, oh, it's just so saddening. Did you hear Yanmin Park's story no. on, she was on Joe Rogan and then she was on a couple other ones. I mean, she's done a book for four or five years ago or whatever, but she talks about her story of escaping North Korea. And there's so many, there not so many, but there are many other people who have escaped and told their stories, but, um, just she was talking about how it was, I couldn't, this was a, she did a really good way. She did a really good job at framing this. Um, cause Joe Rogan had asked her about why wouldn't the government help a starving population? And she said, well, they don't want to, they want to keep 90% of their people starve because if they can, if they, if people are just focused on trying to find food, they don't rise up and they can't think about other things. Mm. Right. Oh, so, like, how do you, like, nothing is going to change. And, and there's the whole geopolitical issue, apparently, like, you know, China's had a huge influence on this. And so she says nothing changes until something changes with China, right? So there's, you're talking about, I don't know how many tens of millions of people are in North Korea. I don't know if there's an accurate count um, who, they have nothing. They can't own land, apparently. They they can't raise their own food. Like, yeah. I'm just you know, you book. think about that ext that extreme you know, you shouldn't even have to go to that extreme to make you want to vote. But like when you think about that, those kind of situations exist. Um, and now people are realizing, you know, what restrictions of freedoms, um, again, for legitimate reasons, but still restrictions of freedoms, what that, what that is doing to people. Imagine that was all the time and you didn't have a voice at all in, in you know, the political yeah. future of your country. And the thing, the you wouldn't country. even know. I wonder if you'd even know the difference. I'm just reading a book right now called The Orphan Master's Son. It's written by a guy named Adam Johnson, who is not from North Korea, so I don't know how accurate it is, but it's it's a story, it's it's fiction, about uh, this mm -hmm. guy who grows up uh, in an orphanage. His dad works at the orphanage, so he's an orphan, but he grows up in this orphanage in North Korea. And just his life through North Korea, and the one thing that's sort of, it, it's, I'm only about halfway through, but it's, it's really, really interesting, but there's a bunch of highlights of, you know, I don't know how accurate it is again, but of like North Korean life that this guy lives. And he, uh, at one part he goes, he visits Texas, um, as part of a delegation representing, uh, in the book, it's Kim Jong-il. And, um, people keep asking him like, how can you live there? Like, how, like, how can you, how can you, um, live your life with no freedom? Mm -hmm. And he's like, we have, He's like, you think that you have freedom. He's like, we just do whatever we're told all the time. And that's, he's like, you know, what's, what's more, he's like, you have all these options and all these things or whatever. But to him, he's just like, you know, like to us, freedom is, I just do whatever's told to me. I don't ask questions. I understand that there's no rationale. I just mm -hmm. do it. And that's my freedom. And they, and that's like, that's all you know. Totally. And he talks like, like the little joys that they take in their day to day life. And I was like, man. So I, it, it all sounded, awful 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 but in the book the guy's just like this is just this is kind of what i know and like people just disappear sometimes and you never see them again people get sent to these concentration camp prisons that and like you never mm -hmm. see them again and um i don't know just really really weird but i anyways my point is i wonder if, if you're born in that and that's all you know and you've sort of been you know told since you were young that the dear leader is you know and like the uh, a greatest honor you can give is you know your life to the dear leader and you know um true dedication and like never question it and whatever mm -hmm. i don't know and then you and there's like somebody's telling me that 
there are more internet servers in is it Edmonton than there are in all of North Korea. Like North Korea has something like three. It's absolutely dark. Yeah, and, like and if like you ever see those maps about like you ever see those satellite maps where they or the or the world at night and you see all the sparkles from the cities because of the lights. You look at dark North Korea and it's completely black. Well, yeah, because they like shut off the power after a certain time, so you don't have any electricity mm. after a certain time. Mm. Um, yeah, man, crazy, crazy. But crazy. Go, going back to like sort of that's the only thing you know. Like when I was talking to Gilad, who um, came on the show and and you know he had. He does all these, he showcases, you know, North Korean human rights films and all this stuff. But he was talking about that, this one person who escaped North Korea and he was raised, um, in the prison, I think. And, or, and all he knew was, um, you know, you can't betray the leader, all this kind of stuff. And so when his family wanted to get away, he thought that, oh, this was betrayal. And he told the guards and they killed his mom and, and everything like that. But that's all he knew. He knew that all he knew was that that's what you're supposed to do. Right. And it wasn't until much later that he realized that, you know, there's actually a little bit more. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's a very, very valid point and a very real point. And in this book and, you know, again, it's fiction and I I have no idea how well Adam Johnson uh, knows um, North Korea. It seems very well, or it seems plausible to me. Anyways, there's a, like parents will teach their kids, like they'll say, Hey, um, like, there might come a day where I have to say something that you think is, is bad. And you think I'm, I'm like selling out our family, but I'm doing it for our family. And the way that mm-hmm. like the dad describes it to the kid is he's like, hold my hand. Okay. He's like, as a family, we are always holding hands. We are always holding hands together. And then he stands up and he says, this little boy is a, uh, whatever. He's betrayed the great leader. And he, you know, is, is, um, dispensing capitalist thoughts you know from our capitalist pig enemies or whatever whatever and he's like and and that and the boy like looks scared and he's like but see our hands are being held our hands are being held so like we're a family and we say things that might not seem right at the time and then later um there comes a point where the mom has to sell out the dad to save the family so Mm -hmm. like and like they've talked about before it'd be like if you know some government official comes down is asking questions and is suspicious about some of your activity if the whole family turns on one member, they'll take that one member to the concentration camp and they'll kill him, but it might save the mom and two kids. And so, like, they prepare for this eventuality where they're like, one day you might see your mom sell out your dad to the officials and he's going to go away forever, but it might save you and your brother. Like, it, it'll save the rest of us and it's a sacrifice that we have to make. And, like, they're, you know, he was teaching his kid this. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know, man. It's just and like, the key there, Kyle, is that it sounds like it's, it's it might, right? Because apparently is that be. if you are implicated, you're, they'll search for your family and your extended family. And you might, that, that extended family might not have anything to do with a crime that you may have committed, but they'll still prosecute you, you know? So it's like they can wipe out an entire generation or your entire bloodline because of this, like... It's absolute genocide. That, what's happening over that there? That was the other thing in this book that's crazy. And again, I, I don't know if it's true, but there's a guy. So what often happens to like high-ranking government officials or even like government interrogators that like go to families, they're like you know suspects um, mm. or people who are who have been accused of uh, not being dedicated to the dear leader or whatever. Um, they will often get thrown into these camps for some reason that somebody has found because they've maybe slighted somebody mm-hmm. or they know too much or something. And so this guy has a plant and um, they have canning plants there apparently that, you know, don't always follow the most rigorous standards. And you know, so, so like sometimes, you know, cans will have botulism in them. And this one guy, he's a high ranking government um, official. And uh, one of these uh, canneries is closed for a bit because all these canned peaches have botulism. And so he, he grabs a flat of these botulism filled peaches and brings them to his home uh, because when he knows his time has come and they're going to come for him and his family, they're all going to get dressed up in their fine clothes and they're going to sit around the table and they're going to eat these peaches and they're all going to die together. Um, and it, it like, I don't know, man, like, and so later in the book, and again, this is fiction, um, he gets captured and somebody comes and it has like his file and they're cutting off his finger and they're torching him to get information, whatever it is. And again, this is a guy that, that like used to be a high-ranking official with the dear leader, mm-hmm. um, and he's just like, just tell me, did my family die in 
white dresses. And they were like, yep. And like that was a signal from the family to him that, mm. yes, that they ate the peaches and they didn't get tortured by these government officials or whatever. Mm. Anyway, so there's all these insane stories that just seem so um, so insane that they're that they're sort of plausible in a way from like all the other things that you've heard. And you'd hate to ever believe it. And again, I have no idea if it's true. It was written by Adam Johnson. It's fiction. So don't take this as fact. But uh, I don't know, man. Like this book is it, it uh, won a Pulitzer Prize. So he's not just blowing smoke up people's asses, anyways. But some he's of the probably stuff got heard, it from just... a number of sources who left Korea, North Korea. You know, I mean, the stuff you hear Yeonmi Park say in 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 her interviews, like unbelievable. I, I can't even. I don't even want to talk about it. Like it was just. I almost. I almost started crying, man, just hearing the things that she was saying. It was. I had never heard stuff like that before. Yeah, I'll have to listen to it. And and you almost you think that it's just not true. Like, how can something like that be true? Um, but when she speaks about it, she speaks about it with absolute convinc- conviction and, and authenticity, you know, and I don't know. It's, uh, it's really, really sad. And I, yeah. Yeah. Brutal. Let's talk about something else. What's, uh, yeah. Our podcast went pretty dark, uh, huge bummer. dark May main point there is, is get out to vote guys. That's uh, <laughs> yes, <vote. laughs> important. Yeah. Yeah, this all started somehow with a federal election in Canada. So yeah, vote. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else is new? What's shaking? Um, you know we we were we got really close to some wildfires driving into BC, which was super scary. Like BC's gotten yeah. uh, BC for obviously for folks outside Canada. We're talking about British Columbia, um, which is one of our western, our most western province, and. Uh, very susceptible to wildfires, and uh, my family goes and drives out there for our vacation usually every year. And yeah, there it was the closest we'd ever been to wildfires, so it was kind of kind of scary. The interesting part was explaining it to Avina. She was actually yeah. asking about it like one or two weeks before we left, because you know the wildfires had been going on since June of this year, right? Really getting pretty bad. And um, she heard me talking about. It. She's like, "These wildfires, Daddy. Like, how do they get created?" And so explained like multiple ways of how these wildfires get created okay well how do they how do they go away explain that multiple ways and she's like okay and then she just like processes it doesn't really talk about it and then like closer to day before day of she's like i'm a little scared about these wildfires like are we what's going to happen with that i was like no you have nothing to worry about we're going to drive right past them uh, nothing to be scared about and of course we're driving down the coquihalla highway which um give people some context. It's like the main highway. If you're going to drive into Vancouver, um, you know, traveling, e- traveling West coming from the East and it's just mountainous terrain. And yeah, it's, it's considered one of North America's most dangerous highways, especially in the winter. It's just up and down well paved though. Like it's not like there's like you're driving on dirt roads or anything like that, but speeds like they've got those speeds up to like 120 kilometers per hour. You know, it's just crazy. Um, but of course we drive down the Coquihalla and there's wildfires on either side of us. So I'm like trying to, Avina's like getting a little anxious and she's getting a little worried and trying to calm her down. And we ourselves, you know, are, are kind of worked up. Um, and you can see the, the fire bombers kind of throwing water in the distance. And so, you know, in, in one way it was, it was neat. And I say that very, in a very, um, you know, compassionate way, be like need to see how the, those operations take place. But sad too, because when we drove, drove like on the way back, we drove through it and the fires were gone and everything seemed to be contained, but it was smoldering and just dead, right? Like it's just whenever, if people have ever seen um, the aftermath of wildfires, it's just, you can't believe it. It's all, it's all crown fires, right? Like the, you can like, it's like what, um, so wildfire is a natural part of any forest ecosystem, mm-hmm. but apparently what's been happening is like they've there's been like a huge effort for fire suppression for over a hundred years I think in Canada and um, so there's a bunch of standing deadwood and then with forestry you know hundred years ago or eighty years ago um, you know they planted huge swaths of monocultures across the landscape that are all exactly the same age so you kind of combine those two things plus climate change is getting hotter and hotter. Mm-hmm. Um, so now what used to be this common thing for every, you know, forest ecosystem have these kind of low forest floor fires that would kind of run through and like certain cones, like pine cones, um, certain species of 
pine and spruce tree will have cones that are I think the word serotonous where they they will only open after a wildfire like it it takes oh. heat to kind of open the seeds so like these plants have evolved with, with wildfire and like rejuvenates the soil and and like puts mm-hmm. in, uh, fresh nutrients into the soil and so it's actually really really healthy but the problem is with all this standing deadwood all you know this fire just gets out of control and oftentimes it like hits the canopy of the tree and then the trees die so you have these old trees that are dead so you have a ton mm-hmm. of just like it's just devastation and now with mountain pine beetle too so like yeah huge huge massive stands of just standing dead tinder like stuff that if you mm-hmm. you know sneezed at when you with like a cigarette in your mouth it would light this thing on fire so it's a big problem it's a big problem in bc it's a big problem in alberta and i don't know i don't know how you deal with it i don't know what the and i'm not an expert i don't so there are some smarter people than i do who have you know systems in place and um programs i'm sure to sort of help deal with it but it's a big problem particularly in western canada the worst is when i hear that some of these are human caused yeah. like that just well the, it, it, the it, thing is though fire um what's the word not fire detectives fire investigators investigators no but there's another word anyway it doesn't matter fire investigators yeah. let's call them um are very good at finding the source of a fire, even massive fires. They can usually That's track it down to like, and somebody explained to me once, and I can't remember how they do it, but there are patterns you'll notice. And if there's like mm. steady wind, you can kind of trace it back to where it was. And like, sometimes it'll be as neat where, it'll, where like, it'll just funnel down to like a point and you can find like an abandoned camp or something where somebody didn't put their fire out or somebody yeah. just flicked a cigarette or um, the heat off exhaust on quads. The quads like rip or like other ATVs ripping down uh, cut lines, um, mm. and like it'll just be hot and it'll start grass on fire and all that stuff. Wow! But like they they're pretty darn good at um, figuring out where the fire started, and I don't I don't know how often that like gets but like back to the person who started it. But there have been cases where people are like, "Oh, you're the one that started this wildfire that burned over a million hectares of forest and a bunch of people's houses and killed some people. Like you are on the hook for this, sir." Um, so anybody out there thinking about starting fires, number one, fuck off. Number two, you, you might get caught. <laughs> so, come on now. Yeah. That whole town of Lytton, man, got burnt yeah, down. Yeah, it was so like, it's sad. It's just sad just stuff. Quick, 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 yeah. quick. I remember uh, when I was a kid, we lived in a log cabin in Whitehorse. And my mom got me out of school one day because there was a wildfire in the area that, and the winds had shifted. And so we had to pack up. We had to have basically go bags ready where mm. like – if the you know if things align there's a chance that we could lose our house and we kind of get gotta get ready to go um but nothing ever came but we were totally fine but i just like mm. i from what it sounds like what happened with Lytton, people barely had that time like they just like mm-hmm. it was just all of a sudden a, a town was gone well i mean I, I heard this story and i don't i think this this man is from Lytton. Uh, we're going going in a sad direction here, but we've already kind of opened that it's can of worms. Problem. But uh, this 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 man, he was apparently with his uh, with his mother and father, and they're barbecuing, and they smelled smoke, and so then they, um, I think the man went to go. He 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 had dug a trench or something for some other project, and he told his parents to wait in the trench, oh. and so he went to go check to see where the fires were and how fast they were coming. And they'd come so fast is that there was a power line that got hit. The power line landed on top of the come trench. On. Yeah, oh. and his uh, and the last the next time he saw his parents, parents were were gone. Jesus. So yeah, it's just these things happen so fast, which is you know why you know we were I, frankly I was nervous driving down that highway, and you just don't know, and don't. you see these people working really hard, and you but you think. You know, the only thing that gave me comfort was like, I know this is a major artery, right, to connect certain areas. And so they're probably going to do all they can to protect that highway, right? Because they just evacuate people. So that's the only thing that gave me comfort. But man, it's dangerous stuff. Super. Scary, yeah, scary very, stuff. Very scary stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah that, that Coca Hall is no joke. I used to live in Chilliwack, BC. Mm. And I would um, drive often back to Kamloops. And so I would take the Coca Hall. And I did in winter. I was like an 18 year. I just moved out. Oh, like let so like I was home. I left home when I was 17 to move to Chilliwack, and I think I was 18 when I was going back and forth between Kamloops and Chilliwack a lot. 
um, and I would go on the Coquihalla in the winter time. And I remember mm. being like, I'm an Alberta boy. Like we drive on snow covered highways all the time. Like this isn't an issue because mm. everybody was going so slow. I'm like, ah, you bunch of sissies, like get out of my way. And I had a, I was driving a 1989 Jeep Cherokee. So I felt invincible, right? Like you're an 18 year old kid, mm-hmm, you're in SUV, feeling pretty good. And I remember I went to like pass a guy and started to like fishtail going like a hundred on the Coquihalla and like started to go sideways. And I was like, this is it. I'm just going to die on a stupid Coquihalla. And I ended up just like, you know, whatever, just I luckily got out of it. It wasn't because of my skill. It's just whatever the gods are with me that day. And I was the one that everybody was passing because I was going so slow. <laughs> and yeah, that was like my sort of baptism on the Coquihalla. Man, I think you have to have chains now if you drive on the Coquihalla in the winter. I don't know if it's just trucks, but I, I definitely saw that. But probably be a smart thing to do. Oh, man, I'm sure I didn't have winter tires on. Just stupid, right? You're 18. Yeah, and you're invisible. A lot of that. I mean, that time, like people, winter tires weren't a big thing. When, now it's like everyone. When, is that true? Like, when did winter tires? So, like, that probably would have been 2003. So, like, when mm-hmm. did like what? So in 1995, did nobody have winter tires? And now in 2021, if you don't have winter tires, you're 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 kind of an idiot. You know, like mm-hmm. in Alberta, you, you should probably have winter tires. But like, wh- how? Like, is that just like me falling for clever marketing? Or like, when did like when did the the winter tire lobby really take that cause to like make that big switch? Because I've asked that question before. I was like, did they have winter tires? That's a good question. Maybe it's a combination of clever marketing and then insurance companies. Like, I don't, I don't think it's much of a thing in Alberta, but I think in Quebec, they give you a discount on your insurance if you have winter tires. Mm. And so well, there must there's be no... a bunch of influences. Maybe there's a technological thing. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're driving on ice, unless you have studs in your tire, not, not winter tires are not going to do anything. Right. But they certainly do help for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm just driving in snow, no question yeah, about for it. Sure, so, for sure. yeah, um, maybe maybe the tech wasn't there as much. I don't, I don't know. know. I'm not sure either. But uh, anyways, I have them on both my vehicles. Uh, that might be a lie for sure on one. Um, maybe it was. Uh, I mean, I think I, I don't know how common chains were, but maybe you know governments were just like, well, these chains are tearing up our highways. Maybe there's another these car tire companies are like oh well we got a better solution for you maybe yeah, some maybe. Of that. yeah that's right we should we should do some investigative journalism on this one yeah yeah the winter tires um, yeah yeah i don't think we could do a whole podcast on it though yeah we do good yeah we could do a ton of one we could do a just yeah. pull i don't know do they give pulitzer prizes to podcast episodes <laughs> we could win a puley for the for the podcast that would take us to the tip is there a podcast awards there's awards for everything, man. There's like awards for, I don't know, ice cream and whiskey and books and poems and, I don't know, movies, of course. Yeah. So there's got to be podcast awards. Maybe. Yeah, I guess it's been around enough that maybe we should know there's got to be something. Maybe yeah. we should know that. Um, so anything else uh, interesting to talk about? You were going to, this box when um well you didn't want me to talk about it but i did have questions about it but i'm i'm absolutely eager to know why there's this red box on the top so I, of your bookshelf so i adjusted my screen because you can only see like from here up or something and there's this red box and then uh and then rupesh asked me well what's in the box um and i said there's just, just a bunch of embarrassing stuff i bought and so the story with the box is here's the kind of guy i am when it's like when i'm bored or something I'll just like start looking into things. And if I've like read an, an article recently or something that kind of sticks in the back of my mind, I'll like go back to it, like, oh yeah, you know, I should, I should kind of look into this. And so two things are, are uh, there are two reasons or two events that occurred to lead me to this box. Number one is I read an article on collectibles and how collectibles now are you know, sort of back in style. And there's a huge market around collectibles. Mm-hmm. Two is I went back to my parents' house and I found my old comic book collection from when I was a kid. I used to love comic mm. books. I still do. Like you know, you can find them online pretty easily. Um, the Edmonton Public Library has a great online resource called mm. Hoopla where you can get comic books, and I'll kind of read them sometimes. Anyways, I just I probably had two hundred comics from when I was a kid, and I just thumbed through them. And I was like, you know, I just read this article about collectibles. I should like I'll just Google some of it. I'll just punch these into eBay. I had a couple that were worth big money, like hundreds of dollars okay and so i was like well how do i how do i do that like like how do i sell this stuff the the second event 
was I had my old Nintendo uh, mm. and my Super Nintendo, which ha- and an old PlayStation Two with a bunch of old games. And I I just put it on. I I just like took a picture of all this stuff and I put it on Kijiji for like eighty bucks for everything. There was probably so there's three systems and there's probably forty games. I got fifty three messages within ten minutes. I'm not surprised, man. Not surprised. And so and I was like, whoa, whoa. And like the, the first guy was like, I'm on my way, cash in hand, right now. I was like, uh, well, okay. And the next guy was like, I'm on my way, like cash in hand, like, like right now. And after 15 more of those, this other guy texted me and he's like, I will give you $350 for all of it. And I was asking 80, might have been 100. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit. I was, I was like, so I like took the ad down, messaged everybody, been like, guys, apparently I have stuff here that I that I didn't know how valuable it was, so I'm gonna take it down. And the guy that offered me like 350 was like, yes, you have very valuable stuff. Your stuff is probably worth about 500, but you would have to establish a market for it. Like you would have to find the individual buyer, which is kind of hard to do. Mm-hmm. Like I do that for a living, so it's easier for me. So he was kind of honest with me. So I said, okay, 350, you can have all this stuff. But that got me thinking about. So I like Google up the games and I had, if anybody out there has Silent Hill 2 for PlayStation 2, you can sell that game for $100, $150. If you have like Mega Man, Donkey Kong, um, Contra for Nintendo or or, uh, Super Nintendo, those are all valuable. Don't just give them away. Hmm. What are the other ones? There's a couple of PlayStation games that are worth like thousands of dollars. So Hmm. there's this huge market for these old things. So. If you have an old station at home, before you sell it or give it away, just go to eBay and punch in the games and see, and, and uh, just see what you have. So the video game thing happened, and then I found my comic book collection. I started punching in. I had some super valuable stuff. So I figured out eBay. I figured out how to sell my childhood comic book uh, mm. um, collection on eBay. And I, saw, I, I sold a package of three comics like two months ago for $400. Like it's now, sorry, do people have to know, like, if they're in a certain because I know with hockey card, like, I collect cards, they got to be rated, right? Like, totally. a certain mint level or whatever, yeah. right? Do comic books yes. have, fall in that so same thing? So, they have thing, a very or? similar system. It's actually the same. So, Beckett or uh, CGC, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, Beckett, yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a main one for comics, I can't remember what it is, and anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you can send it away and get it graded. And so, if you have mm, a graded, 9.8 yeah. graded comic, I've never seen a 10.0 graded comic, but if you have a 9.8 graded comic. Let's say that a comic, they call it raw. This is me being sort of nerd. But if you have a raw comic that's in decent condition, that's worth $100. If you have that same comic in a 9.8, it's probably worth $400. So I sold a bunch of my comics, didn't get them graded because you have to send it away. And now it's all super popular and takes a long time. whatever. So I just sold them. I probably made, I don't know, probably $1,500 off my comic book collection maybe. No, not that high. Probably $1,000. Um, but then, and here's, here's where the thing happens. I start looking and like, Oh, these collectibles are, well, maybe I should buy some, like some that like might grow in value. So I'll just like start (laughs) buying some. So I bought some comic books. Here's the thing though. I bought one for 50 bucks. It's worth well over 500 now. So like, that's pretty good, right? If anybody out there has, and the title is sort of macabre, but it's a very good book called something is killing the children. If you have number one of that series, it's worth a bit of money. Um, and I bought a couple other up and coming series. So there was that. Well, this then leads me into, well, what other kind of collectibles are there? Cards. You just mentioned cards. The market Mm. for baseball cards right now is insane. And I'm a baseball fan. So I started, I was like, well, I'll just spend a bit of money on like some up and coming rookies, like a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Or Shohei Mm. Otani or whatever. Like these guys that are probably going to be superstars future hall of famers mm-hmm. because if you like there's certain mike trout so mike trout is genuinely known as the best player in baseball has been for the last i don't know eight mm-hmm. uh, like six years probably maybe more than that his rookie card is worth like five thousand dollars and there, there's certain variations mm-hmm. of it that are worth like half a million uh, mm-hmm. wayne gretzky's rookie card again well graded just sold for it was like three million dollars or something yep yeah uh, michael jordan's rookie card now sells for millions and millions like there's a Mm. huge market for sports cards which i had no idea so anyways i bought some some baseball cards of Mm. sort of up-and-comer players which i've since learned isn't Mm. really the way to do it but whatever you know you spend five bucks on a casey Myers rookie card and if later he becomes a Cy Young, 
winner. You know, maybe you can sell it for mm-hmm. X amount of money. So that's what's in this box. It's comic books and baseball cards. And all stuff I don't need. And, like, I just, like, have an hour to kill. Just, like, go on eBay on my phone and, like, look up a fucking thing. And I buy a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. rookie card. And there's variations of rookie cards. It's not just, like, there's one. There's oh, I know. And that's the that's a trick. I never – I unless you obviously go through Beckett and you find out which one's the – like, which specific company and type is, like, the, the card to get, it's hard to know. Like, I remember – because I have a ton of cards, which actually – which actually, what, <laughs> what show kind of cards? Like cards sports? Uh, mostly hockey because I used to collect a lot of hockey cards. I have hockey cards that are from the 1930s and 40s. Like I have some premier players, like the really like some really solid Dude, you players. Should, you should just like punch some of those into eBay, see if any of them are worth anything. Yeah, I, I have to. I want to. They're all a lot of them are protected. Like I made sure I protected a lot of those cards. Um, but yeah, I'll have to show them to you. And then I have like I, I used to collect some baseball cards too. Um, I only got into basketball really late, so I don't have too many of those. I have like a, I have a Sammy Sosa rookie yeah, card. Cool. Um, basketball, that's but awesome I see again. Cool. I don't know if like it's, if that is the one that I need to have. So that's the trick is to, and I don't know how they determine that. I guess it's I guess it's based on like how many they produce, perhaps. Probably, yeah, probably like rarity, maybe, and like also yeah, like if rarity, it looks yeah. good. Like there's this is this, this is a crazy thing. It's like Ronald Acuna Jr. is an upcoming star. You know, he's one day in his career he might hit forty home runs, steal forty bases in the same year, which is pretty impressive. Um, he has a rookie card, one where his bat is pointed up, and mm. that's worth like two hundred bucks. He has a rookie card where his bat—it's the exact same card, but his bat is pointing down over his back. It's worth thousands mm. because it's because it's more rare. It's the it's the exact same swing. Yeah, the picture's just taken like half a second later. And Tops took that picture. It's a good picture, and just like made way less of it. And then they mm. made like there's like variations on, on like just a normal one, so you can get like fancy, flashy ones. And those ones are worth mm. like tens of thousands of dollars. Just anyways, so I, it has to be rarity, I guess. And if the if the picture is good, but anyways, sorry to cut you off. There's all kinds of things, man, that you can invest in. Apparently, if you bought like a um, a bottle of wine from Bordeaux, France. It was like it outperformed the S and P five hundred over the last fifty years. Apparently, like I read something crazy like that, right? Or you've heard about these non fungible things. I still don't understand what these things are. Like I want to, I actually want to dive into this at some point. Um, But like that is a thing, and it's just virtual. Like like when I read about non fungible tokens, I was like, "This is the stupidest thing I've ever read." But sorry, non fungible tokens. But but then people are like, like if you own the first whatever, like the original Mona Lisa let's say it's it's invaluable like it, it's so valuable that there probably isn't a price on it. maybe there is i don't know i'm not an art guy or you can buy a picture of it for five bucks but the original is still worth way more money and with the blockchain and like blockchain economy and something that like tracks every single transaction you can trace mm-hmm. back to whatever that original like gif is like a gif uh of a cat with like a rainbow behind it just sold for like hundreds of thousands like a million dollars or something because it's a popular gif and you could trace it back and see oh this guy owns the original gif and you and i could have copies of it on our desktop but if you want the original one you can see who owns it and like you can buy those Mm. things and so that's sort of the idea behind non-fungible tokens and like Mm. i think um the the nba is selling non-fungible tokens of like everyone's highlights of like sports yeah, I don't know. So that's probably. I mean, some people think it's the future. Some people think it's just like the stupidest thing in the world. But I don't even know how you go about buying it. Like you probably need Bitcoin or Ethereum or something like that. Anyways, so like collectibles, different ways to invest, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Even like cryptocurrency, I've been looking into that a little bit. Don't know anything about it, but Ethereum is super interesting. Mm-hmm. You're diversifying, man. You're getting away from those vanilla ETFs. You're getting into all kinds no, of. I'm- tradables no, and nothing nfts and crypto and no, no money that i i'm all i'm just the most boring investment i'm all <laughs> index funds a quarter a quarter a quarter a quarter quarter canadian quarter yeah. american quarter international quarter bonds that's all for right. my long-term investments that's all i do but to mess this is gambling like like this is basically this is play money yeah. totally yeah um yeah. So, and i know that, that that you have different investment strategies and you're a, you're a well-read man when it comes to investments so i won't try to give any advice on that i just read like two books i'm like yeah this seems like any moron could do it so i'm gonna do it because <laughs> i'm a moron um yeah anyways hey we're at uh we're at an hour okay. 
do we want to wrap this thing up here what a trip like what a journey that that last hour (laughs) we covered everything it was fun yeah 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 Yeah. um always a pleasure to talk to you man let's uh let's do it again um soon and and uh hey folks we got uh some guests lined up in october which i'm really looking forward to uh we're gonna have some more throughout the rest of the fall it's gonna be fun so keep joining us and and uh it's we just appreciate you guys supporting us and subscribing and, and liking our channel and, and all that kind of stuff and leave us comments. Love to hear from that. We so, do. We do. Yeah. All right, buddy. Hey, man. Nice to see you. And yeah, hopefully yep. I talk to you again in not six weeks. Okay, appreciate it. Appreciate it.